but you just knew it. Okay. Sylvan flowers and a swarm of bees, intoxicated by its delicious fragrance, hums about the garland. He is further superbly adorned with a pearl necklace, a crown, and pairs of armlets, bracelets, and anklets. Purport. From this description, it appears that the flower garland of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is fresh. Actually, in Vaikuntha, or the spiritual sky, there is nothing but freshness. Even the flowers picked from the trees and plants remain fresh. For everything in the spiritual sky retains its originality and and does not fade. The fragrance of the flowers picked from the trees and made into garlands does not fade, for both the trees and the flowers are spiritual. When the flower is taken from the tree, it remains the same. It does not lose its aroma. It's a little different than our flowers. Right? The bees are equally attracted to the flowers, whether they are on the garland or on the trees. The significance of spirituality is that everything is eternal and inexhaustible. Everything taken from everything remains everything. Or, as has been stated, in the spiritual world, one minus one equals one. Haribal Prabhu, you're here for some time? Wonderful. Nice to see you. We have our Trikala Gya Prabhu, uh, resident Bridgebasi. <laughs> Are you here for the program, man? Acha. Otherwise, I was going to ask you to give class. <laughs> okay. Nice to see you, Prabhu. And one plus one equals one. <laughs> it's different than that song, uh, Nothing from Nothing Leaves Nothing. <laughs> that's, not, uh, that's like a Mayavadi song. <laughs> the bees hum around the fresh flowers, and their sweet sound is enjoyed by the Lord. The Lord's bangles, necklace, crown, and anklets are all bedecked with invaluable jewels. Since the jewels and pearls are spiritual, there is no material calculation of their value. So, a few things here. So, the uh, dictionary definition of the word inexhaustible is of an amount or supply of something unable to be used up because existing in abundance. So it, 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 it just it, it never ends. So Prabhupada um, uses the word inexhaustible. Everything is eternal, but not just eternal. It's inexhaustible. Um, so you would think, well, if you just make flower garlands once for the Lord, you don't have to make them the next day. Katam <laughs> hogya. But that's the mood. The devotee is always looking for more and more service. So there's an opportunity to always make flower garlands. Um, but they just—it's just different than this world, where the time factor just marches on. Uh, you need a microphone. Do we have the mics? Oh, okay, they're coming. Go, Vince. Yes, Prabhu. So yeah, my thought is like, um, if you work in a sweet shop, in a, confection, in a, what shop? In a confectionery shop, a sweet shop, like you'll just fill with all different type of sweets. At certain point, you'll eat like 
to some extent and like after some time like well, that's you, satiation yes right yes. so basically you don't like it's it's there it's only attraction for the other person like if you are already there you right. don't get attracted to it again right right so that's that's uh, that's another point an important point an important point that we have satiation uh limits like uh andy what is your favorite food, favorite food? yeah Brussels sprouts. No, that doesn't sound strange at all, especially when they're grilled and, and uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, you'd probably be fine with five Brussels sprouts or even 10, 15 maybe pushing it. But if you had to eat 200, you wouldn't want to look at a Brussels sprout for a long time, right? Because that's, uh, so you're, you're, that's your point about sweets, right? We have... So, like, this, like everything is good, but... Yes, but, but, and, but, for example, chanting Krishna's name is no like, oh my God, I've chanted 200 names, forget it, I'm, I'm sick, let me chant something else. It, it's different when we're dealing with spirituality. That's your point. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and we can see that also, besides the unlimited Brussels sprouts, we can also see that everything kind of in this world tends to be uh, scarce, right? Um, you know, we, we, even if we have a good amount, we, we don't think we have enough money. Uh, often, not everyone, but uh, for a lot of us, you know, there's a scarcity of money. Or certainly, I think for all of us, on a certain level, we would think that there's a scarcity of duration of life. Right? You can only live 80, 90 years, whatever, 100 at the most, generally speaking. And often less than that. Um, so our duration of life, there's a scarcity of it. It doesn't, at least in this body, doesn't go on forever. Um, there, there's therefore a scarcity of connection with loved ones, right? Even uh, if you have the greatest love of your life and you've gotten along from day one, eventually there's separation and, because of the duration of life issue. So there's a scarcity of, uh, of that connection. Um, and certainly, we all experience a scarcity of happiness that rather than um, it being always uh, there, it comes and goes. Right? Um, there's certainly also a scarcity of fame. Even uh, some of the, I remember one time I was on book distribution and I, somehow I mentioned something about, this was not too long ago, right? So a person who's like a millennial, right? And I said something like, uh, Oh, George Harrison, you know, mentioned George Harrison's name. Like, oh, he used to, re he helped finance this book. And the person said, who? <laughs> right? So at one point in time, um, uh, Chaman, were you living in, in India in the 60s? Uh, I'm in the 60s. I came Okay, so then, you, so were you aware of the Beatles before you came to America? Yeah, so you knew about the Beatles, and probably even India did, even though you know it wasn't as big as America. Everyone at one point they were almost they were among the most famous people on the planet, right? John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Everyone knew it, right? And now you know, some years later, who? Right. So fame. And interesting, as a side note, um, usually the generally the most famous people are the ones that that have a duration a long duration, are spiritualists, like Jesus Christ, like Muhammad, uh, right? Uh, um, 
the great Acharyas, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Ramanuja, you know, in different cultures. But usually they outlast the movie stars, the uh, sports stars, right, etc. Uh, I was doing a training the other day and somebody said, oh, my hero was Mickey Mantle. And somebody said, who? You know, one of the younger person said, do you know who Mickey Mantle is? Fifty <laughs> percent of your life is wasted. <laughs> no. uh, so fame is also uh, limited. And, uh, and our flowers wilt, <laughs> right? Our flowers wilt. But we also, um, so we can have the, the best, the, the uh, most permanent way to have, you know, non-devotees talk about scarcity mentality and abundance mentality, right? Have you heard of that? Those con concepts, right? You know, scarcity is there's never enough to go around. And I, you know, if I, if someone, one person has to be number one, and if I'm not it, then somebody else is going to be it. So, you know, but in a person who has an abundance mentality, um, is a lot more self-assured, is a lot more satisfied within, and so they're not always comparing themselves to everybody else, right? So the ease, the the the, the real way to have a real abundance mentality is to uh, be Krishna conscious, is to be God conscious. Um, because then, um, when we feel connected to Krishna, then we, uh, you know, then we really have, uh, we're connected with reality. And we feel his shelter, we feel his security. So therefore, we're not seeking security from other things. That's a lot to do with the scarcity mentalities. You know, we're looking for shelter, we're looking for security, and because we don't have that, we're not God conscious. Therefore, we're, you know, we're in anxiety and we're, we're, we're concerned about keeping up, what do they say in America, keeping up with the Joneses. In India, maybe it's keeping up with the Agarwals or the Patels or whatever. But, you know, uh, you, know you just bought your brand new uh, Avalon uh, Toyota, but then the guy next door has a Benz. And you, oh, you know, right? <laughs> you know, so that whole scarcity mentality. So, um, so we want to have an abundance mentality, even, even uh, both, especially on the spiritual level, but even in day-to-day -day life, right? When we feel connected to Krishna, then we feel satisfied. What is it? Tushti pushti shudapaya, right? The uh, Bhagavatam says that just like a hungry person, when they get something to eat, they feel pleasure, they feel satisfaction, and they feel relief from hunger. And then the verse goes on to say, and in a similar way, when one is Krishna conscious, one re feels relief from miseries, one feels satisfied, and one feels happiness. Right? So, so the, the, the devotee always will say things like, if Krishna desires. Yeah, you know, even, even Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Srila Prabhupada's spiritual master, used to say, uh, you know, they say, oh Maharaj, are you coming to the program tomorrow? Yes. Krishna willing, right? Krishna willing, right? So he had that real dependence on Krishna. And also, yes, you know, but we, sometimes we'll, we say it, but we don't really mean it. You know, we'll say like, yes, I'll get that new house if Krishna desires. But in our mind, we're thinking, Krishna better desire, <laughs> right? Yeah. Instead of really thinking 
that, you know, I have, you know, I have things coming to me, I have things not coming to me, I'll do my best, but th- the results are up to Krishna. And then one feels such a relief from anxiety. Right? Because you're connected with the full abundance. Krishna has everything. Right? And then what we have coming to us, if Krishna desires, great, and if not, kyakare. Right? What's it do? It's not a problem. I go on with what I, uh, with what I have. Right? So that's, that's uh, the abundance mentality. Also, that the devotee is so ready and willing and, and pleased to give credit to others. They don't base their self-worth on other people thinking that they're great. That's not what their shelter is. Their shelter is in pleasing Krishna. And when something goes well, they say, you know, it's the devotee's mercy, it's, it's my spiritual master's mercy, it's Krishna's kindness. Right? They don't say, oh, things went well. You know. And that's hard to do sometimes when things do go well. Right? You know? I know for myself, if, like say, Sunday I open house if I'm giving a talk, and I kind of know it went okay, it went well, and people liked it. So I have to remember when I get off the, you know, the seat here, some people are going to come up to me and say, oh, my, you know, it's going to come up to me and say, oh, that was such a nice class. And I have to remember to pass on that praise to the source. Even if I got, and even if I said something nice, you know, it's God, it's Mother Saraswati who's uh, empowering, it's spiritual master, it's Parampara, it's Lord Chaitanya, it's Krishna. And, and pass it on, you know. So we want to become like, that it's not that uh, we keep on passing things on, but then oh, that one looks pretty good. I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> right. but, uh, so this whole idea of abundance, you know, which coming from this verse where where everything spiritual is eternal and inexhaustible, <sighs> we don't have to be in anxiety about stuff. Some thoughts on that? No? Do you agree? And part of this, a big part of being a Krishna conscious and also being a good human being is to really uh, be grateful. A really good practice is every day when we wake up in the morning, one of the first things we think of, what are a few things that I'm grateful for? What are a few, that's a great way to start the morning. Instead of, uh, gotta go to work, it's, it's raining outside, how to pay the rent today or the mortgage. Uh, I didn't get enough sleep. Right? But we wake up and we think, you know, of course, generally what, the, what devotees do is the idea is that right when you wake up, you, you pay respects and you call out the names of the deities. Jai Sisi Gornitai, Sisi Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman, Shishi Radha Madan Mohan, Chila Prabhupada Ki Jai. That's a great way to start. Right? And then we might sit there for a minute and just think, what are a few things that I'm really grateful for? Great way to start the day. And that's abundance, that's giving credit to others and not just being in our little cocoon of our little world, in our little miseries, poor me, and feeling sorry for ourselves. You, know, you know, just get out of that mode of ignorance. Uh, tamasi, what is it? Tamasima Jyotir Gama. You know, really spring into action. With a, with a positive day, not, not just, you know, putting a, a, a plastic smile on your face, 
you know, but actually taking shelter of Krishna and then having a real smile. Okay. Any thoughts on that? All right. Well, then we'll continue. Text 16. His loins and hips encircled by a girdle. He stands on the lotus of his devotee's heart. He is most charming to look at. He's most charming to look at. Look at how charming Shishi Radha Madamohan are. Most charming to look at. And his serene aspect gladdens the eyes and souls of the devotees who behold him. The Lord is eternally very beautiful. Is there anyone in this world eternally beautiful? Right? Right? Even the most beautiful or handsome person in their 20s, okay. 30s, okay. 40s, yeah. But by 50s, you got to start, you know, um, Botox or, you know, and 70, forget about it. <laughs> right? So, like, the Lord is eternally beautiful. Yes? Not Microphone. Not with the devotees. Uh, I have seen the devotees, even they are old, they are beautiful. They are beautiful uh, because the face is the index of the mind. So one can be a different kind of beautiful, a more deep beauty can be there um, uh, if one is actually uh, connected with the eternally very beautiful. And he is worshipable by all the inhabitants of every planet. He is ever youthful. Wouldn't that be nice? Right? And always eager to bestow his blessings upon his devotees. So that's a very important point, right? They're always eager to bestow his blessings upon his devotees. So that's another beautiful meditate. You could wake up in the morning thinking like that. You know, Think, gosh, the Lord is always eager to bestow his blessings upon his devotees. How nice. Um, yes. So in the previous verse, Prabhupada yeah. explains in the purport. Oh, 17? Uh, 16. 16? Yes, Prabhupada. Which one? 16. 16, okay. Um, so although the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his eternal form is so beautiful. Hold the microphone to you, right? Yeah and pleasing to the heart of the devotee, he doesn't attract the impersonalists who want to meditate upon his impersonal aspect. Right. So, to understand this properly in contrast with the next uh, verses purport, because he is always eager to bestow yes. his... So, something is really wrong with the impersonalist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Can I say something? Yeah, but you have to make yeah. sure you use the mic. I think what's wrong with the impersonalists is they see, well, no, I was gonna, what I was going to say is wrong. But to me, the big three elements are the living beings and their eternal relationship with God and God. Right. Somehow they sense God in some form, but they don't have that relationship part. It's like a wall. Right, there's no the, Samanda. That eternal relationship is like a brick wall. If you can't, don't know it's there, it's, right. everything bounces off of it. 
it's, it's like if a child, just like if your child goes away and isn't really in touch with you very much, right, and is living their own life, the father and mother are always eager to have them come back and they'll bestow, you know, the, oh, here's your room, you can have it back, you don't have to pay any rent, here's Prashadam, and you can, we have an extra car, you can use a car, right? They're always eager, but it's up to the child to come back. So Krishna's always eager, and we're going to say, you know, I, I like to say this, right? Krishna, eh, I got this. I don't need you right now. It's okay. Right? It's kind of like, you know, what are they, hand to the face. It's a very rude thing to do, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, right? So, that's, so that makes sense, that connection? Yeah, so Krishna's always eager. We just have to, and, and if we just take one step, he'll take whatever, 100,000 steps towards us. But we, you know, but he's not going to interfere with our independent, with our minute independence, with our free will. With our free will, he's not going to do that because that's not. Then there's no love. But he's always eager, uh, and therefore the devotee it mentions about Rupa Goswami in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that he, one of his qualities was he was always eager to serve. He was always eager to serve. And so you can imagine, if he has that eagerness, and then Krishna says he's always eager to, right, what a, what a combination then, right? If we're always eager to serve, and Krishna's always eager to give us his blessings, then, you know, we have it, uh, as we used to say, made in the shade. Remember that saying? Okay. Verse 18. The glory of the Lord is always worth singing. For his glories enhance the glories of his devotees. One should therefore meditate upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead and, this is the point here and in the purport, and upon his devotees. One should meditate on the eternal form of the Lord until the mind becomes fixed. So, I'm going to read from the last two paragraphs of the purport. Another significant word in this verse is punya shloka. Oh, let me take off my glasses here. Uh, yashashkaram. The devotee is called punya shloka. As one becomes purified by chanting the holy name of the Lord, here's the point. So one can become purified simply by chanting the name of a holy devotee. The pure devotee of the Lord and the Lord himself are non different. Now, that obviously needs a little explanation. It is sometimes feasible to chant the name of a holy devotee. This is a very sanctified process. Lord Chaitanya was once chanting the holy names of the gopis when his students criticized him. Why are you chanting the names of the gopis? Why not Krishna? Lord Chaitanya was irritated by the criticism and so there was some misunderstanding between him and his students. He wanted to chastise them for desiring to instruct him on the transcendental process of chanting. The, uh, and then I'll, I'll read the next paragraph in a minute. So, the, the, um, the oneness, we, we know this, we've heard this many times before, but the oneness between Krishna and his devotees is a oneness of interest. Right? Where the the devotee's interest is exclusively, the pure devotee's interest is exclusively connected to serving Krishna. But this point about um, service to devotees 
and calling out Krishna's name. In, there's a book called Manashiksha by Srila Raghunath Das Goswami. Anyone read it? Read it sometime? Yeah, very beautiful book. And I think it's the eighth verse. Oh no, well, maybe it's the first. Anyway, it's in there someplace. Uh, the, high, the, highway men, the highway men of lust and his friends have bound me around the neck with the painful, horrible, powerful ropes of many wicked deeds. O oh mind, please scream out to the devotees of Krishna, the killer of Bhakka. I am being killed. Then they will save me. So one uh, can, as one you know, calls out Krishna's name, one can call out the name Prabhupada, one can call out the name of the spiritual master, the great the previous Acharyas. Um, because we, we, that verse that we sing every morning, there's two verses, right? The first one says, Shakshadhari Tvena, right? That, that the, deity, the devotee and Krishna are uh, the Shakshadhari uh, Tvena, they're, they're almost the same, <laughs> right? In the Shakshadhari Tvena Samastash, all the Shastras say this. Why are they this? Why are they the same? Kintu Praburya Priya Evatasya. They're Priya, they're dear to the Lord. The spiritual masters are dear to the Lord. And therefore, because there's that connection, Yasya Prasada Bhagavat Prasada, Yasya Prasada Nagati Kutopi. There's no, you don't, destination unknown from displeasing the devotees. And uh, one gets Krishna's mercy by getting the mercy of his devotees. In the uh, Nectar of Devotion it says, um, in the Padma Purana there is a nice statement praising the service of the Vaishnavas, or devotees. In that scripture Lord Shiva tells Parvati, my dear Parvati, there are different methods of worship, right? And out of all such methods of worship, the worship of the Supreme Person is considered to be the highest. But even higher than the worship of the Lord is the worship of the Lord's devotees. Tvadiyanam is the Sanskrit there. And then it goes on to say, there's a similar statement in the third canto, seventh chapter, verse 19. So we studied that some time ago. Let me become a sincere servant of the devotees, because by serving them, one can achieve unalloyed devotional service unto the lotus feet of the Lord. The service of devotees diminishes all miserable material conditions and develops within one a deep devotional love for the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And one more, uh, or maybe two more. This is important, so we're just quoting from, from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And in the Skanda Purana, persons whose bodies are marked with tilak, symbolizing the conch, wheel, club, and lotus, and who keep the leaves of Tulsi on their heads, and whose bodies are always decorated with Gopi Chandan, even seen once, can help the seer be relieved from all sinful activities. And from the Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, there is no doubt about one becoming, one's becoming freed from all reactions to sinful activities after visiting a devotee or touching his lotus feet or giving him a sitting place. Even by remembering the activities of such a Vaishnava, one becomes purified, along with one's whole family. And what then can be said of rendering direct service to him? So therefore, it's very purifying to read the Srila Prabhupada Lilamrita, and there's so many nice uh, books written about Srila Prabhupada. Um, 
Uh, one of my favorite is, for, at least for distributing to people who aren't familiar with Krishna consciousness, is uh, was it Swami in a Strange Land by uh, Yogeshwar Prabhu? It's a really wonderful, he's such a good writer. And then Giriraj Swami has written, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, uh, Burijan Prabhu, and uh, Harisari Prabhu, and so many others. Um, there's so many, uh, I, I think, hopefully, uh, Malati Devi is working on hers because she had so much association with Srila Prabhupada. Oh, um, Vishaka uh, Devi also. Mulapaka, yes. So one more. In the Adi Purana, this is a famous one. Uh, my dear Partha, one who claims to be my devotee is not so. Only a person who claims to be the devotee of my devotee is actually my devotee. So, it's so important. So therefore, this is bona fide. That they're calling out the name of Krishna's devotees is, is a great thing to do along with calling out Krishna's names. Of course, the devotee will always tell you chant Krishna's name. Krishna will say. <laughs> so this is Krishna's system. You can't, you can't really avoid it. Krishna says, oh, you want my mercy? Serve my devotee. That's the system. You know, and, it, and it's good because it does... Uh, it has an impact on our ego, right? Because our ego kind of doesn't, oh, it's, yeah, serving God, no problem. It seems like kind of a far, but this person, right? That could be, a, that's maybe a little harder, but as the person is connected and is truly a devotee of Krishna, um, or even trying their best to be a devotee of Krishna, and then their association is uh, wonderful. Some thoughts on this? I can see everyone is. Are you awake? <laughs> What's that? Yes, the second paragraph. Okay. The beauty of the Lord is that the devotees who are connected with his activities are also glorified. Arjuna, Prahlad, Tanaka Maharaj, Bali Maharaj, and many other devotees were not even in the renounced order of life, but were householders. Some of them, such as Prahlad Maharaj and Bali Maharaj, were born of demoniac families. Prahlad Maharaj's father was a demon, and Bali Maharaj was the grandson of Prahlad Maharaj, but still they have become famous because of their association with the Lord. Anyone who is eternally associated with the Lord is glorified with the Lord. The conclusion is that a perfect yogi should always be accustomed to seeing the form of the Lord, and unless the mind is fixed in that way, he should continue practicing yoga. So anyone uh, can be a... Uh, devotee of the Lord's. This is a um, really important point. Right? We say, we, we quote that verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Nitya Siddha Krishna Preme, Sadhu Kavanoe, Shavanadi Sudhichite Koreye Doi. That Krishna consciousness is there in the heart. It's not some foreign thing. You know, someone said, oh, I met this Hare Krishna devotee. Wow, they're far out. Actually, no, Krishna's right there. <laughs> in, in the heart. Um, so Prabhupada writes, uh, pure Krishna consciousness is the birthright of all living entities because every living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. So birthright, often the Sanskrit is janmakar. Right? So adhikar, we know that word adhikar or eligibility. So one's eligibility, just by taking birth, their birthright 
is to be a devotee of Krishna. Just like when you, you know, you're born in a country, and let's say in America, you have certain rights. There's a bill of rights, right? And if you're employed, at least as a federal employee, I know these laws, there's certain rights that you have as a federal employee, right? So we have a certain right just by being alive, just by being soul. And that is that we have the right to be God's devotee. Janmakar. Uh, another one. Uh, the words Nija Padam are significant. The living entity being part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of God, it has the birthright to a position in Vaikuntaloka, or the spiritual world where there is no anxiety. So that's important to remember. When we see someone, you know, they're they just came out of McDonald's, they still have some, you know, uh, you know, some remnants of their food between their teeth, and, you know, they haven't taken a bath in three days, and whatever. Still, they have the potential to be a devotee of Krishna's. Because it's, 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 it's covered, but it is, the, the diamond is very much covered by a lot of, you know, but somewhere inside there, in the deepest chambers of our hearts, is our dormant Krishna consciousness. So our job individually, with ourselves and also with others, is to, uh, in Bengali, the word is udoi, right? to wake up, to uh, help manifest that which is already there. As, so that time when Srila Prabhupada was said, Swamiji, a reporter, you know, Swamiji, how many followers do you have? And he says, um, unlimited. Uh, some recognize it and many don't. <laughs> I mean, not just the follower is, but you know, he understands that everyone's ultimately a servant of God. <laughs> so did you have something on this second paragraph? No, you just wanted me to read it. Yeah. Okay. I did. Anything on this point about Jamakar? Yes. The previous purport. Number 18. No, we just, oh, we just read 18, 17, you mean. Which one did you want to see? The one we just covered? We just read 18. We just read 18. Oh, it's referring to a yogi. Yeah, it's, uh, the conclusion is that a perfect yogi should always be accustomed to seeing the form of the Lord. And unless the mind is fixed in that way, he should continue practicing yoga. Well, well what, what Srila Prabhupada's doing here is he's going back into the context of this chapter. So the context of this chapter, as, as I briefly mentioned in the beginning, is uh, he realized the vision of a perfect yogi. Right? So if you... Um, so, if you recall the chapter 6 of the Bhagavad Gita, right, where Krishna talks about two different levels of yoga, do you remember that? Um, and only in the more advanced stage of yoga can one uh, give up work and just meditate. We're talking here about meditation. But then the very last verse of that chapter says, Yoginam apisarvesham makatenantaratmana shadavam bhajateyo mam yo Right? Did I get that right? So then Krishna's connecting, so that verse, uh, verse 47 of the sixth chapter, is connecting us from the practice of yoga, which is also mentioned in this chapter, to bhakti, and the next six chapters in the Gita. 
right? So similarly, what Prabhupada is doing here is he's going, he's not telling us that we should go back to, you know, uh, Ashtanga Yoga, though we can do that for, for health reasons and all that. Um, but for the person who's practicing yoga, for the person who's not the perfect yogi yet, continue practicing this kind of yoga before, um, uh, that will help them lead to always seeing the form of the Lord, always practicing bhakti. So two things are going on, Prabhupada's purports, which are always bringing us to the highest, bringing us to bhakti, and also the gradual process that is actually Kapila Dave is uh, mentioning in this chapter. Okay? Yeah. yeah. That's why it's important when we read Prabhupada's books to uh, understand the context. Because uh, context is really important. Otherwise, it's like, huh? Right? <laughs> okay, so we continue. Verse 19, which is also something we, uh, I asked you to read. Thus, always merged in devotional service, the yogi visualizes the Lord standing, moving, lying down, and sitting within him. For the pastimes of the Supreme Lord are always beautiful and attractive. So this is the yogi who's really becoming, I mean, a devotee, right? I mean, not becoming, he is. The process of meditating on the form of the Lord, now this is important though, and, and you know, um, another, this is important, you know, your question is really very helpful, because it, this, this purport, connects very much to your question. Whoops. Uh, the process of meditating on the form of the Supreme Personality of God within oneself, okay? And the process of chanting the glories of the pastimes of the Lord are the same. The only difference is that hearing and fixing the mind on the pastimes of the Lord is easier than visualizing the form of the Lord within one's heart. Because as soon as one begins to think of the Lord, especially in this age, anyone ever had this experience? The mind becomes disturbed, and due to so much agitation, the process of seeing the Lord within the mind is interrupted. When there is sound vibrated, praising the transcendental pastimes of the Lord, however, one is forced to hear, you can't, unless you're gonna put on really good earplugs, right? That hearing process enters into the mind, and the practice of yoga is automatically performed. The practice, so the, or the goal or the, uh, yeah, of yoga is automatically performed. For example, even a child can hear and derive the benefit of meditating on the pastimes of the Lord simply by listening to a reading from the Bhagavatam that describes the Lord as he is going to the pasturing ground with his cows and friends. Hearing includes applying the mind. In this age of Kali, of Kali Yuga, Lord Chaitanya has recommended that one should always engage in chanting and hearing Bhagavad Gita. The Lord also says that the Mahatmas or great souls always engage in the process of chanting the glories of the Lord. And just by hearing, others derive the same benefit. Yoga necessitates meditation on the transcendental pastimes of the Lord, whether he is standing, moving, lying down, etc. So this is a really important point. Um, it is one of the, um, first of all, it's simple and joyful, right? Chanting, dancing, hearing Krishna's pastimes. It's actually, relatively speaking, it's pretty easy. It's, it's fun, it's easy, right? You know, if you really get into it, you have a, a, good, a good person speaking or something like that, and they're starting to tell you about 
Lord Ramachandra and you get all upset when Sita gets kidnapped, right? And you feel so sad when Jatayu is killed, right? And then you feel so happy when the monkey army joins Ram and then Hanuman goes to Lanka and burns it down. And you're like, horrible, you know, right? And it's really absorbing. It's a lot easier to do than Right? It's a lot easier to do than, than, than just trying to meditate on the pastimes of the Lord. Hearing is, is so powerful. And singing is so powerful. And, so the, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, uh, he taught us, and Rupa Goswami, Nam Rup Guna Lila. That first, that from the Nam, by chanting, and, and hearing and chanting, right, that meditation, then the other three follow. First, you understand the, the, the name is not different from Krishna, Nam Rupa. Then the form, you meditate on the form. Uh, Nam Rupa, Guna, the qualities and pastimes. But it all emanates from the holy name. And this was uh, so important. And you saw, like, uh, again, probably, uh, Vinoji, just before you left for America, you must have seen Bhagavad Katas or Ram Katas, where thousands of people might come. I mean, I saw that in the 80s and 90s when I was in India. And still today, sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and what, they didn't tell them, okay, now close your eyes. No, it was a kata. People were talking about, you know, it was exciting, it was interesting, right? You know, otherwise, how can people sit for seven days in a Bhagavad Katha or something like that? It's, it's, and especially if someone's really good at telling stories. Of course, our idea is not just seven days. Our idea is nityam bhagavata sevaya, to daily hear Krishna's pastimes. And this has a um, specific um, distinction because the, uh, some of the uh, some followers of Lord Chaitanya, especially those that sometimes live at Radhakund, they emphasize meditating more, right? And uh, the, the uh, followers, especially coming from Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur, Srila Prabhupada, um, emphasize a much more, you know, the much more practical process of, of hearing and chanting. So it's really, um, it, it's so interesting, isn't it, that on one level, the secret of spiritual success, it's an open secret. And it's a simple secret, and still we don't do it that well. <laughs> Just hear and chant about Krishna. When you're at home, there can be a bhajan playing, a kirtan, a pravachan, a lecture. When you're driving to work, and, and especially when we're chanting uh, around. So we talked earlier about, earlier about waking up, right? That we, the, we call out the names of the deities. We maybe think of uh, what we're grateful for in this world. And then when we chant japa, of course, we have our acharya for chanting here, Mahamantra Prabhu. But... Um, I was listening today to a, to a lecture, and I really like this, that there's two things to remember when you sit down to chant. And uh, that this is, your, this is our time to be with Krishna. Right? And this is our time to not do anything else. That let all the worries of the day and all the problems and all the things you have to do, set them aside for that period of time and just make this your personal time with Krishna. So we have nothing else to do, and this is my personal time with Krishna. It's nice, simple meditations. So some questions or comments about hearing and chanting?
Mahamantra Prabhu. In, in the purport of this uh, verse, yeah. Prabhupada says, hearing includes applying the mind. He what? Hearing, inclu hearing includes what? Applying the mind. Applying the mind, right. So, um, with regards to chanting, hearing while chanting, uh, does it mean like taking it into the heart or because generally applying mind there is like speculation for me, you know. Mm. So, how do I understand it properly? With con in context with the... How do you understand what? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Applying the mind while hearing... While chanting? While yes. hearing? While hearing... Well, when we're chanting, yes. we just, uh, Prabhupada would sometimes say the ear and the mouth. The mouth is speaking, the ear is hearing, and the mind in between, just lock it in, just hear the mantra. Right. Um, when we're hearing the Bhagavatam, things like that, there's, it's almost like there's hearing uh, the Bhagavatam in different modes of material nature. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you ever fall asleep on reading? No. <laughs> right? So that's kind of the mode of ignorance. Yeah. And you ever read a page or two and you have absolutely no recollection of anything you read. You, you literally saw the words on the page, but mine was in another universe, a parallel universe. So that means we are mode of passion. Yeah. So it's good to um, really try to be in the mode of goodness before we chat, before we hear, really make sure our, our place is clean. Um, we're in a, you know, a relatively peaceful uh, situation. Uh, I, I, I've been doing this lately. I've been doing like about just two or three minutes, not a lot, a few minutes of pranayama before chanting, right? And just focusing on the breathing, incoming and outgoing. And that kind of just slows me down a little bit. Then I pick up my beads and start. I've done that for about almost a month now. And I find it uh, helpful. Because uh, I read it in the 11th canto. It was recommended. And then Satchinandan Maharaj also uh, quoted that 11th canto verse. And I said, OK. You know, not that I do an hour of pranayam. Uh, but uh, a little pranayam. Even, even, the sim even it's not pranayam, even it's just Focusing on your in, you know, inhaling and exhaling, even if you're not doing, you know, uh, what is it, loma and biloma or whatever, aloma, yeah, or any of those fancier ones like that. Was that all right? But it's really, especially those morning hours are really special and sacred. So, you know, early to bed, early to rise, right, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and Krishna conscious. <laughs> Um, and so if we have those early hours before we have the busyness of the day, they are very, very special. Very special. Yes, be mindful. But the mindfulness is not on, on void or on your breathing. It's just on the name. Yeah. But you're right. That's definitely mindfulness. And, you know, Krishna, we've mentioned this before, Krishna... Mindfulness is very popular today, right? Yeah. And it's, you see it everywhere, and especially it, it's kind of Buddhistic. It's usually connected in that way. But Krishna spoke about mindfulness way before uh, Buddha did. Not, not that we have anything. Oh, he's not there anymore. Not that we have anything against Buddha. But, uh, but just that uh, when Krishna said, na sochati, uh, na kangshati, right? He said, um, don't lament about the past, don't hanker about the future. And then Srila Prabhupada's Param Guru Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote, uh, forget the past that sleeps, nor in the future dream at all, but be in times that are with ye, thee, and 
progress ye shall call. So we're definitely into mindfulness, but our, our mindfulness is, is, a, uh, is to try to fix the mind in the present uh, on Krishna. Because even when we're chanting, right, we start thinking about, oh, you know, I have so much to do today. And then we're thinking, oh gosh, that last round was really, and we start lamenting, oh, that last round was really terrible, my mind was all over the place. So that's lamenting and hankering. Because the only time we really have is the present. The future is the future. Past is gone. Never to come back. And that's why in meditation and mindfulness they tell you to focus on breathing because you can only breathe this breath right now. You can't, you don't really think about ten breaths from now. Right? That's the idea. Anything else? Ladies are quiet today. Yes. <laughs> Prabhu, so um, <clears throat> can we meditate on the name form, qualities and pastimes of devotees when we are chanting? And, well, we, we um, yes, we, we have the 26 qualities of a Vaishnava that's mentioned, right? Uh, and then the 29, similar list in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, so the qualities of a devotee, yes. And we certainly meditate, let's say, in Iskhan on Srila Prabhupada's qualities. We also, uh, like I, all those books that I just mentioned, they all talk about his pastimes, right? Even, even one of them is called the Lilamrita, which literally means nectarian pastimes, right? Um, the form, well, you know, like when we're doing puja, we. Yeah, uh, and, and, and the name. Um, we don't, you know, obviously we don't chant, like even Prabhupada's name, we don't go, you know, Prabhupada, 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 two hours a day, right? But um, certainly, especially his example, which would be his, his qualities and his pastimes, you could say, right? Because uh, that is yad yad acharati shrestas tatadeve tarojana sayapramanam kurute lokas tat anavartate. You know that verse? Yeah, what is it? Do you know the English? I don't know the exact English, but, but it's close uh, enough. Yeah. Whatever great people do, common people follow. And whatever standard they uh, set by exemplary acts, all the world pursues. Okay. So, yes, so um, setting an example, and that's something we can do. You can do at UMD, and you can do at work, and we can do in our different places. Um, you know, there's that saying, uh, what you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. So devotees, are, we're meant to uh, be exemplary. And that's what the word acharya means, right? One who teaches by example. It's like, as I've said often, it's really actually relatively easy to sit here and quote some shlokes. Uh, the hard thing is when I get off this seat and try to behave in the way that I told everyone else to behave. <laughs> That's the hard thing. <laughs> That's the challenge. Is that okay? It's a good, great question. Anything else? Okay, so now we're moving on and uh, we're actually going up to verse 34 before we focus again. So text 20. Alright, so hold on a second before I do that. 
Um, so this, the 20 to 33 specifically talk about meditating upon the Lord. So here's the yogi meditating on the Lord. In fixing his mind on the eternal form of the Lord, the yogi should not take a collective view of all his limbs. So this is, this is good uh, information, maybe we're not familiar with this. Um, but should fix his mind on each individual limb of the Lord. So even when you're, when you're having taken darshan, the idea, as we're going to be hearing here, is to start with the Lord's feet and work your way up. The devotee should first concentrate his mind on the Lord's lotus feet, which are adorned with the marks of the thunderbolt, a goad, a banner, and a lotus. The splendor of their beautiful ruby nails resembles the orb of the moon and dispels the thick gloom of one's heart. So meditating on the lotus feet of the Lord can dispel the gloom in our heart. Right? You know, like, like we can, somebody can, you know, you get really upset, right? Just like um, um, where we live, we only have, uh, we, we don't have enough parking spots, so we have to park, uh, to park up the street, right? And so uh, one day I showed up at the park, and it was, luckily it's kind of an older car, but someone had hit it. So the initial reaction is, ah, right? right? Oh, Krishna. Right? But then the second one remembers Krishna. So, okay. <laughs> Put this into perspective, right? You know, don't sweat the small stuff. And what's the uh, subtext of that? And it's all small stuff. Right? You know, that's thing, right? and put this in perspective, and is there a lesson here? Or just Krishna looking to see how I'm going to react in this situation? Right? And so even when thing, you know, uh, so we can, uh, meditating on the Lord. So the blessed Lord Shiva became all the more blessed by bearing on his head the holy waters of the Ganges, which has its source in the water that washed the Lord's lotus feet. The Lord's feet act like thunderbolts hurled to shatter the mountain of sin stored in the mind of the meditating devotees. One should therefore meditate on the lotus feet of the Lord for a long time. That we don't do that so often, right? It's kind of like, oh, darshan, horrible. Next one, horrible. You know, but if we have a chance, come to the temple or we'll go online and look at a picture of the Lord. Yeah. Um, I'll just read one or two sentences here. Another significant point in this verse is that the mind of the conditioned soul on account of its association with the material energy from time immemorial, contains heap of heaps of dirt in the form of desires to lord it over material nature. This dirt is like a mountain, but a mountain can be shattered when hit by a thunderbolt. Meditating on the lotus feet of the Lord acts like a thunderbolt on the mountain of dirt in the mind of the yogi. Or have you ever seen before and after of uh, Mount St. Helen? You ever seen that picture? Right? The whole top, cut down, finished. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, like that, that can happen to us if we meditate on the lotus feet of the Lord. 23. The yogi should fix in his heart the activities of Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, who is worshipped by all demigods and is the mother of the supreme person, Brahma. She can always be found massaging the legs and thighs of the transcendental Lord very carefully serving him in this way. 
Next, the yogi should fix his mind in meditating on the supreme pers- on the personality of God, its thighs, the storehouse of all energy. The Lord's thighs are whitish blue, like the luster of the linseed flower, and appear most grateful, graceful, when the Lord is carried on the shoulders of Garuda. Also, the yogi should contemplate his rounded hips, which are encircled by a girdle that rests on the exquisite yellow silk cloth that extends down to his ankles. The yogi should then meditate on his moon-like navel in the center of his abdomen. From his navel, which is the foundation of the entire universe, sprang the lotus stem containing all the different planetary systems. Of course, this is Vishnu, right? The lotus is a resident of Brahma, the first created being. In the same way, the yogi should concentrate his mind on the Lord's nipples, which resemble a pair of most exquisite emeralds, and which appear whitish because of the rays of the milk-white pearl necklaces are adorning his chest. The yogi should then meditate on the chest of the Supreme Personality of God at the abode of Goddess Maha Lakshmi. The Lord's chest is the source of all transitive pleasure for the mind and full satisfaction for the eyes. The yogi should then imprint on his mind the neck of the Personality of God who is adorned by the entire universe. The neck of the Lord serves to enhance the beauty of the Koshtuba gem which hangs on his chest. The yogi should further meditate on the Lord's forearms, see, Vishnu, uh, which are the source of all the powers of the demigods who control the various functions of material nature. Then the yogi should concentrate on the polished ornaments which were burnished by Mount uh, Mandara as it revolved. He should duly contemplate the Lord's discus, the Sudarsan Chakra, which contains 1,000 spokes in the dazzling luster, as well as the conch, which looks like a swan in his lotus-like palm. The yogi should meditate upon his club, which is named Komodaki. There's a long eye, right? Komodaki. And is very dear to him. This club smashes the demons who are always inimical soldiers and is smeared with their blood. One should also concentrate on the nice garland on the neck of the Lord, which is always surrounded by bumblebees. We heard about them earlier with their nice buzzing sound, and one should meditate upon the pearl necklace on the Lord's neck, which is considered to resemble the pure living entities who are always engaged in His service. So, uh, obviously the bumblebees don't sting the Lord. Because like when, if we were surrounded by bumblebees, right? We would like, <laughs> right? That's not the case with uh, Krishna. Okay, 29. The yogi should then meditate on the lotus-like countenance of the Lord, which resembles His different forms in this world out of compassion for the anxious devotees. His nose is prominent and his crystal clear cheeks are illuminated by the oscillating, uh, by the oscillation of his glittering alligator-shaped earrings. The yogi then meditates upon the beautiful face of the Lord which is adorned with curly hair and decorated with lotus-like eyes and dancing eyebrows. A lotus surrounded by swarming bees and a pair of swimming fish would be put to shame by its elegance. The yogi should contemplate with full devotion the compassionate glances frequently cast by the Lord's eyes, for they soothe the most fearful uh, threefold agonies of his devotees. His glances accompanied by loving smiles are full of abundant grace. And here purport, as long as one is in conditioned life, in the material body, it is natural 
that he will suffer from anxieties and agonies. Anyone had that experience? Only me? <laughs> one cannot avoid the influence of material nature, even when one is on the transcendental plane. Some, but this is an important sentence, sometimes disturbances come, but the agonies and ecstasies of the devotee are at once mitigated when? When they think of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in His beautiful form or the smiling face of the Lord. The Lord bestows innumerable favors upon His devotees and the greatest manifestation of His grace is His smiling face which is full of compassion for His pure devotees. So, what wonderful point, huh? So, Prabhupada's saying, yes, there's going to be disturbances. Yes, you're going to get flat tires. Somebody's going to bang into your car. Um, you know, someone stole your identity and you know, your credit cards, you've got to close all the accounts and reopen, you know, or whatever happens in life, right? But he's, but he's saying, but we don't necessarily have to experience the agonies and the anxieties if we remember. Um, just like that verse, and in every initiation we, we quote that uh, shloka, yat smaret pundarik aksham, right? that one, one passes through so many difficulties in life, but one who uh, who remembers Pundarikaksha, uh, the Lotus-Eyed Supreme Personality of God, it is purified within and without. So, especially, you know, remembering Krishna uh, can take so many different... Just like if you have uh, your parents or your child um, there's so many different ways you can remember them, right? It's not just, right? Um, some recommendations is, uh, we read this before, uh, re remembering Krishna's kindness, his mercy, his love. Or this combination, uh, Burijan Prabhu talks about this, of, of uh, a very nice meditation is uh, meditating on Krishna's quality of bhakta Bhaktavatsal, that he's inclined to his devotees, and that he's all-powerful. And that combination is a nice meditation, that the all-powerful person also loves me. Hmm. Nothing, remembering that nothing hangs, happens without his sanction. Somehow banging into my Prius was sanctioned by the Lord. Um, and also even a deeper meditation is that he's directing our lives. Even when we can't necessarily understand, especially at the time, uh, that this doesn't seem like mercy. I'm sure everyone in this room has had many examples of times in their life when, when they were going through something, it was like, oh God, this is terrible, why me? And then later we look back and say, that was Krishna's mercy. Right? I'm sure we have examples of that, small or big, in our life. It's hard, uh, it's hard to do that right on the spot. But it's uh, so Krishna is also Anukul Yasya Sankalpa Pratikul Rakshisha Titi Vishvaso Gotrite Varanam Tata. That Krishna is our protector and Krishna is our maintainer. So Krishna will protect us how he wants to. That doesn't mean he's not gonna, we're not going to get sick or this or that, but he protects our consciousness of him if we want that. He's our, and he's our maintainer. 
So then what's the anxiety? <laughs> you were talking about uh, the devotee and Krishna. So um, this happens so many times with Prabhupada. A devotee would come in to want us to talk to Srila Prabhupada and explain something that they were anxious about. And then when they actually got in his presence, he would say, so what's the problem? And they would like, for at least for that time, they would Prabhupada. Like, uh, what problem? I don't remember. You know, <laughs> it was just uh, being in his association. It was like that. Also, uh, I think I may have told the story, but because I, I was um, one of the editors of Puri Prabhu's books about Prabhupada, I remember those a lot. So he, I, think I, I'll, I think I told this before, but I'll just repeat it quickly. That he had lived um, mostly as a devotee in Hong Kong and um, Japan where there weren't deities, there weren't installed deities like here. But he did have a lot of association with Prabhupada. Prabhupada would come there and there were places where there was only a few devotees, so he had a lot of association. So when he finally came to a big temple, it was in Dallas, Texas, and he did a little pujari work for Ajahn Prabhu, he, when he got on the altar, he said, where did I have this feeling before? And he remembered, this is just like being with Prabhupada, being so close to the deities, that, that very sacred. Because it, it is, it's scary, you know, for all of, any of us who've been on the altar and done uh, some puja, it's, it's very peaceful, it's very purifying, and it's a little scary. Right? Because you're right there with the Supreme Lord, and you don't want to make any mistakes. <laughs> you don't want to make any mistakes. But it's very, it's a, it's a rarefied atmosphere. It's a rarefied atmosphere. Any thoughts on uh, this point about uh, disturbances? Yes, agonies and anxieties, optional. Andy? Yeah, I was reading this part with great interest because I have trouble visualizing Krishna. Uh -huh. And I found the, the time I feel closest to Krishna is when I'm doing japa. And the voice or the sound of chanting is supposed to be non-different. And I, I can easily feel, feel that. But the visualization I have a lot of problem with because if you visualize them in your heart, that's materialistic to me. You're, you're, view, you're visualizing them in the middle of your material body, right? Which it, it's is it's a materialistic it's, thing. Nam, but yeah. you're doing the right thing. From Nam, the Nam Rupa, the Rupa will be revealed in due course. Yeah. But maybe generally easier for us as devotees is to meditate on the deities. Well, yeah, but even the most of the deity is closed, so you clothed so you can't do it the way they're saying no, yeah, all the different parts yeah. you, that's is, imagination yeah. very good point so a reminder again that this is Kapila talking about the meditation of a yogi yeah. meditating on Vishnu which is ever so different slightly different there's differences between that and us meditating on Shishi Radha Matan Mohan yeah, the, yogi, the yogi has actually seen Krishna yes. So, here so he's just remembering it. Well, we're seeing Radha Mahan. So here we meditate on Krishna. You can see Krishna's feet. You can see the different dresses that he and Radharani are wearing every day. You can um, see that Krishna has a tribanga, a threefold bending form. Right? Because you see his head is leaning towards Radharani. You notice that? 
He even said, uh, one time Prabhupada was shown a picture of the, the deities in Detroit. And, and Krishna is very much like this in Detroit, leaning over. And he said, this is Krishna. And he said, he's always leaning towards his devotee. Because you see, he's leaning towards Radharani. Mm -hmm. see? And then you can see the beautiful garland there. You see the beautiful red roses and the different... Uh, and there's the ornaments there. There's those uh, strings of uh, pink and green there, right? And then you, can, then you see Krishna's hands and his flute and his smiling face and his uh, eyes uh, and his um, uh, eyebrows, right? Which meditating on those free us from mundane lust. And then the beautiful turban that the Pajari made for him, like that. So that we can do. Whatever you have, meditate on. Yeah. Whatever you can see. Yeah, this is so much easier instead of trying to do this in your heart. And, you know, yeah, this is, you know, also, generally speaking, for a different yuga, this meditation, not that meditation. Yeah. And we're so fortunate here because we have a very, very high standard of deity worship. You know, the altar is spotlessly clean all the time, isn't it? Right? Fresh garlands every day. Deities are dressed twice a day. They're offered six or seven offerings. Things are always on time. It's really pakka. And it's been going on. Prabhuji, when, when did you first come to the temple? Um, 30 years ago. 30 years ago for you? And 97. So that's 30 years? Yeah, no, that's 20 years. And every day since you've been coming, they've been doing that. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah. This is the best. <laughs> Thank you. And that was not a paid political announcement. <laughs> Spontaneous. <laughs> right, so, um, so we're fortunate here. And we're also fortunate that Lord Ram has come to bless us in the capital. And Gorni Thai, many devotees come, you know, devotees who um, visit many temples and they think, somehow they really think our Gorni Thai deities are especially special. Mm -hmm. They really look like they're being very merciful to the devotees. And here is the same Vyasa-san that Srila Prabhupada personally sat in 1976. Wow. Yep. Okay, so let's sally forth. We have 12 more minutes. Verse 32. Uh, a yogi should similarly meditate on the most benevolent smile of the Lord Shihari, a smile which, for all those who bow to him, dries away the ocean of tears caused by intense grief. The yogi should also meditate on the Lord's arched eyebrows, which are manifest by his internal potency in order to charm the sex god, Cupid, for the good of the sages, because sages have, are supposed to be celibate, so, you know, it helps them out. <laughs> with devotions steeped with love and affection, the yogi, excuse me, should meditate within the core of his heart upon the laughter of Lord Vishnu. The laughter of Vishnu is so captivating that it can be easily meditated upon. When the Supreme Lord is laughing, one can see his small teeth which resemble jasmine buds rendered rosy by the splendor of his lips. Once devoting his mind to this, yogi should no longer desire to see anything else. It's just like, all right, totally satisfied. 
But it's nice to know, isn't it nice to know that God has a good sense of humor? Yeah. He's not just like, you know, just uh, sinner, saved, saved, sinner, purgatory. No, you know, no, he's, you know, he's, uh... By following this course, the yogi gradually develops pure love for the personality of Godhead, Hari. In the course of his progress in devotional service, the hairs of his body stand erect through excessive joy and he is constantly bathed in a stream of tears occasioned by intense love. Gradually, even the mind, which is used as a means to attract the Lord, at, as one attracts a fish to a hook, withdraws from material activity. Okay, so... Um... We'll read some of this uh, purport, but I, I think I told you the story before about I just when I was thinking about the fish and the hook that um, uh, So I have a friend whose son who's a devotee and his son was in the Boy Scouts and so they went on a fishing trip and of course he didn't want to hurt any fish So he just put Prashadam on the line, but no hook <laughs> just <laughs> kept feeding the fish <laughs> instead of uh, killing them. <laughs> so he didn't catch any fish, but he benefited some fish. <laughs> here is a, here to clearly mention that meditation, which is an action in the mind, is not the perfect stage of samadhi or absorption. The beginning, in the beginning, the mind is employed in attracting the form of the Supreme Personality of God, but in the higher stage, there is no question of using the mind. A devotee and this is the sentence I wanted to focus on. A devotee becomes accustomed to serving the Supreme Lord by purification of his senses. In other words, the yoga principle of meditation are required as long as one is not situated in pure devotional service. The mind is used to purify the senses, but when the senses are purified by, by meditation, there is no need to sit in a particular place and try to meditate upon the form of the Lord, one becomes so habituated that he automatically engages in the personal service of the Lord. So that's the, uh, we talked about this earlier also, that's that idea of just being eager to serve. And that eagerness to serve, that eagerness to please Krishna, to ple and especially, like we said earlier, to please Krishna's devotees, Confirmed. Uh, that just brings us very quickly to a very uh, exalted level, Krishna consciousness. That eagerness. Uh, uh, it, it said, um, gosh, if I can remember the beginning of that verse, but the third line goes, Tatra loyam apimulyam ekalam, Janmakoti sukritarna labyate. That um, there's only one price to pay to love Krishna. Yes, greed, or what did you say, intense eagerness? Yes, being eager. And that's why we were saying that. I really like that quote from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Rupa Goswami was always eager to serve. So if we're just absorbed in serving, in serving Krishna's devotees, and chanting about Krishna, hearing about him, doing some practical service, um, that always eager to serve, that burns away all the bad stuff in the heart so easily. It's just like you know, taking that 
cup of ink and you just keep on pouring milk into it, right? And it goes from black to dark gray to gray to light gray and, and it just gets lighter and lighter and more pure, purer and purer, so to speak, right? In that sense, just by pouring on the eagerness. So, so, one, so therefore the uh, thing we have to be careful, because most of us in this room are practicing devotees, so we want to be careful of complacency or well, the word is um, niyamagraha, right? What is, it's not just complacent, what, what do we call it? Uh, you know, uh, you get, you, what is the familiarity breeds contempt, right? You just get in a routine and you just, you know, okay. Okay, read the Bhagavatam, right? But to actually, you know, feel that this, this is my time, you know, when I chant, this is my time to be with Krishna. When I'm hearing the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavatam is non-different from Krishna. It's my chance to be with Krishna. When I'm with devotees, it's not just, hey, Harbal Prabhu, Harbal, Harbal. Oh, you know, tell me something about Krishna. Yeah, and by the way, here, I just got this from the, uh, from the uh, bake sale. And let me give that gift to a devotee, right? Because uh, the six exchanges of love between one devotee and another are uh, to give prasadam and accept prasadam, to give gifts and to receive gifts and to reveal one's mind in confidence and to inquire confidentially, right? So to, to just, you know, be alive in Krishna consciousness. Right? And one time Prabhupada said, if there's no, more, if there's no hearing and chanting, uh, there will, what is it? There would be no more hurry, hurry bowl. You know that we have to uh, take eagerly to the process of Krishna consciousness. And you know, it's not a very high um, bar. Prabhupada says in the next paragraph, one should engage in the service of the Lord 24 hours a day. That's all. What's the problem? <laughs> Obviously, it's a high bar. The stage of premanjana churita can be attained by developing complete love. When one's love for the Supreme Personality of God in devotional service is fully developed, one always sees the Lord, even, just like your, this answers your point, even without artificially meditating on His form. So we'll read a couple more verses and then we'll call it a day. Verse 35. When the mind is thus completely freed from all material contamination and detached from material objectives, it is just like the flame of a lamp. At that time, the mind is actually dovetailed with that of the Supreme Lord and is experienced as one with Him because it is freed from the interactive flow of the material quality. So if you just imagine a lamp in a windless place, how it's just so steady and also pretty, Right? So that's what our mind can become. Thus situated in the highest transcendental stage, the mind ceases from all material reactions and becomes situated in its own glory, transcendental to all material conceptions of happiness and distress. At that time the yogi realizes the truth of his relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He discovers that pleasure and pain, as well as their interactions, which he attributed to his own self, are actually due to the false ego, which is a product of ignorance. 
So as long as we're riding the waves of sometimes happy, sometimes distress, that's not really the spiritual platform. The spiritual platform is where, where we transcend those and we're not, our happiness and distress is not governed by what happens to us. It's governed by how we react to what happens to us. They're two very different things. I'm convinced that there's many, many people who live in the various villages of the world, right, in a straw hut or this, that, that are happier than a lot of people in Potomac. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Because I've lived in villages in India, and I, you know, uh, it was like a nice village, clean village, and, and there's a lot of like, you know, just, I'm not talking now about spiritualness, but, you know, Simple living and high thinking. Not high living, simply thinking. <laughs> now, I'm not saying we should give up our how, that's not the, my point. My point is that um, happiness and distress is not based on our circumstances and what happens to us as much as it is how we react to those things. And this chapter is telling us that we remember Krishna. Yes, doctor. Uh, can we get a microphone for it? No. You don't have to go to all the villages. Ah. If you just look at your own self. When we were young, we were just married. We didn't have any money or anything, but we were so happy. <laughs> now you have your everything. Your wife's not agreeing with you. No, I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. No. We were, so you don't have to go to all the villages. Just look at yourself. You know, uh. when you're young and there's more happiness and joy, you worship the Lord. They grow older, they have all these responsibilities. I mean, you may have a lot of other luxurious items, but that happiness was eternal at that time. Uh, thank you. Said by a famous cardiologist no. in our community. Yes. I can say for myself, I was uh, different, but I, when I, was, I was a brahmacharya for 11 years, and everything I owned fit in a box the size of an apple crate. Literally. My, all my possessions. I was so happy. And so if, I, if a temple president said, oh, can you uh, go to Ohio? Okay, pick up my, my little box, put it in the car, drive off. Now I'd have to have, you know, uh, two U-Hauls and <laughs> whatever, <laughs> et cetera. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> I think that is a really good note to end on. We just have a few verses left of this chapter, and we will, uh, we will start chapter 29 next week. And thank you very much for coming and uh, Hare Krishna, Glories to Prabhupada.